Hello, world, and welcome to the Ignited Fortitude Podcast. This is episode 67, a uh, different type of episode, a remote recording with my friend Eric over here. Eric, um, you want to uh, say hi to the audience? Hey, what's going on, everybody? My name is Eric Swithin. I'm the executive director of Outdoor Adventures, a camp ministry for the fatherless, and also I sit at the helm of the Alliance for Ending the Fatherless in uh, Fatherless Epidemic, which is a national ministry and a film company called Abahart Films. So Eric and I have uh, a mutual friend, an awesome friend who's actually been on the podcast a couple of times, uh, Bay Forest. And uh, I had the opportunity to go and visit Bay during the summertime and um, stay, stay a couple of days over at his house. And uh, he had me and the family out there. And one of the days that we were out there, he's like, hey, on, uh, I think it was like Tuesday or Wednesday, he's like, hey, I'm going to be with a uh, uh, one of the guys that I'm mentoring, he's like, so, you know, you guys go ahead and, you know, float the river, whatever else. And I'm gonna go spend time with, with Eric. And, and so we were on his property and I saw you, you know, just walking by and stuff. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And I think you had somebody with you. Was it a nephew or somebody? I don't yep, know exactly. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, that's cool. And he had told me already that you, that you do mentoring and stuff with other people. And then, uh, and then it was neat because, uh, saw you on the property. We kind of saw each other and then, uh, we went to go eat somewhere and then ran into you at that same spot. Right. And, and I think my boys are the ones that recognize you like, Oh yeah, that's that guy that was over, over with Bay. And so we went and, and talked to you and then we connected and, and turns out that you have this ministry that is for uh, helping uh, young men who, and that don't have a father in their life. Right. And uh, that's obviously my heart stream because I feel, I feel my calling is, is for that. But, on the other side where it's, Hey, I want to really try to help equip dads that didn't have a dad growing up. I know a lot of guys that didn't have a dad growing up and like, just really equip them so that they way that way they can be better fathers, better husbands and, and everything else. So it was kind of like, Hey man, let's connect and, and let's talk. And then uh, he's like, Oh, I should have put you guys together when you guys were here. I was like, yeah, should have, but it's all right. So we kept in contact and, uh, and not only do we share a friend, but we also share a brotherhood, right? That's right. That's right. So Ronald Reagan said, I don't know if you know the quote, right? Ronald Reagan said, uh, many people spend a lifetime wondering uh, if they'll make a difference, but Marines don't have that problem. That's exactly right. Semper Fi. <laughs> Semper Fi, man. And so, uh, hey, so how did you get involved? I know that you have a documentary on YouTube called The Fatherless Epidemic. And so if you guys are curious to see in, in detail some of the stuff that Eric does, I, I highly recommend you guys check it out. I've seen it twice. It's it's uh, super awesome, but gives give us like a, a thirty thousand foot view of uh, how you got to this space and and what it is that you're doing. Sure, yeah, I was a business guy in inner city uh, Houston, Texas. I was doing some uh, volunteer work, so business guy on the side, living in the suburbs, and then I would cruise over to a rough area in Houston and and dedicate some time to pouring into young folks that were not dissimilar to how I grew up and a lot like me and. In fact, the, the first place I volunteered, a kid had been burned alive. He was like a, a young, young kid. He'd been burned alive on this soccer field for like 30 bucks in his wallet. It was a rough area. Um, and, and so ultimately, uh, as I was volunteering over there and, and doing my thing, playing soccer, teaching the Bible, you know, serving pizza, playing basketball, I built some relationships with these kids. And I just noticed something that, you know, in ministry, there can be programs and we volunteer our time, you know, in these programs, but just because it's a program and just because we're in front of those kids or those people doesn't mean we're actually making disciples. It doesn't mean we're actually forging deep bonds. And so there was just something in me. I ended up getting called to go to a seminary. I quit my job. I had a complete you know, radical encounter with God where he just overhauled my life in a matter of, of days. And so um, in the midst of volunteering my time, I just felt the tug on my heart. Like, I don't want to just come over here on a Thursday afternoon and serve some pizza and hang out with some kids. Like, I want to like, I want to pour into these kids' lives. I want to go deep. So God gave me the motto to go uh, an inch wide and a mile deep, not, not reverse. Most programs are the opposite of that. So we created a ministry called Outdoor Adventures, and we vowed to pour into just a handful of kids as if we were like their spiritual fathers and like just fill in the gap and be the daddy they never had. 
and to culminate in, in with that program by taking them up into the mountains and the Rocky Mountains, initiating them into manhood through a rite of passage that would be the hardest but best thing they'd ever done. And the first year we did it, it was just gangbusters, man. It was so fun and so crazy and so hard. And it was, that was it. I was hooked. I was like, this is, this is the real deal. And so, and, and exactly what we wanted uh, to happen, happened. We forged deep, deep bonds with these kids who would probably end up dead or in prison at the very least in immense poverty, most of their life living on welfare and probably, you know, doing the same thing to their kids as their dad did to them, which is abandonment and not being a part of their lives. And, and so we felt like you know, these deep relationships broke that cycle um, almost immediately as we got deeper in our bonds with these kids and poured into them, discipled them, raised them up into maturity. You just saw God capture their hearts and give them uh, a plan for their lives, a calling for their lives, a desire to be married and stay married and be good daddies. And uh, so that was back in 2014. We've been ripping ever since, man. So like, let's say one of those kids, like what are some of the, the first participants? Have they gone, have like any of them been married yet? Do they have any kids? Do you have any, any story of, of like the fruit that has happened to them that now that they are in that role? Oh yeah, hundred percent. You know, the, that first year, one of the kids that clung to me and started calling me dad, uh, he totally regressed and now he's a, a high level shot caller for the bloods. I'd be shocked if he's still alive. I'm not in touch with him anymore, but the last I heard from him, he was tattooed from head to toe and he was a high ranking blood uh, slinging drugs and hurting people and, and that sort of thing. So, you know, not every person we pour into yeah. is a, is a, a story of victory and success. Some of those kids did not end up doing well, but most of them are doing incredibly well. Some of them have families and some of them have kids and even the ones that have kids and their story is somewhat messy, uh, I'm proud to say that they're pouring into their kids and they're breaking that cycle. They're loving on their babies. And so it's crazy to think even that first generation of kids we poured into are doing exceptionally well. And um, and I'd say that was the least successful year out of all the years we had as we like fine tune things and started figuring out how to best shepherd these kids and to pour into them the right way. I'd say we've seen more and more and more success. What do you think uh, is is what put you in this space where, um, like, because I remember, I, I know listening to to you know the the documentary that you were doing, you know, you talked about that your dad wasn't, you know, it was rough, right? Your parents were divorced. Right. Yeah, divorced it too. And I was very sensitive when I made the documentary to not uh, dishonor my dad. He was still alive. He was dying from cancer pretty much the whole time we were making the documentary. He's passed away now. He's in heaven. He gave his life to Jesus. Cancer sort of brought him to his knees in that way. And I was able to lead him to Christ. And um, so now I can kind of talk freely about it. But my childhood was pretty rough. And uh, he was he was not really a part of my life. There are some good memories for sure. But uh, there were also some horrible memories, memories of drunken violence and uh, just things that are unbelievable. And so left a really deep wound in my heart. And uh, he wasn't around, especially in some of the most formative years. So when I became a teenager, I was a hellraiser. I uh, got involved with gang stuff and drugs and violence. And at 17, I was stabbed and almost murdered. And I've been in jail. I've, I've, uh, I'm utterly shocked. I mean, it is like, a miracle in and of itself that I'm still alive or not in prison. And so I'm scarred and tattooed from head to toe. And, um, it's, it's a, it's a miracle that I'm still alive. It's an even greater miracle that I've been happily married for 14 years. I've got two babies that I'm so close with, and I've got seven adopted boys that I am so close with. Well, one of them is estranged, but six of the seven, my relationship's beautiful with them. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so, yeah, that's my story. And so I think oh, connecting with these kids, right? That's, it's like, like I say in the documentary, when I see these kids, I'm looking at myself in a lot of ways. Oh yeah, dude, absolutely. You know what I mean? And then just being able to change the trajectory so they don't have to go. That's what I tell, you know, the teens that, that Steve and I had the opportunity to pour into. It's like, look, we paid your dumb tax. Like, you don't have to do it. Like, just take it, right? Like we, we have paid uh, for that. Just, you know, uh, like, um, you know, these are the outcomes you, and, and just, here's a choice, right? Like, Hey, if you're going to choose to go this way, 
look at the outcome of what's going to happen. If you choose to go the other way, this is what's going to happen. You know, you make the decision ultimately, but you know, how's that, how's that going to play out? But for you not having that, that father figure. Right. And I think a lot of times where people like uh, feel that whole imposter syndrome, right? Like who am I to, because I didn't have it. And maybe I didn't feel like there was anybody in there. Like um, who was in your life? Who was instrumental in your life trying as you were having this vision and and in the way that God was leading you? Who was instrumental in showing you like, no, this is although that, you know, maybe your your dad didn't do it um the way he could have, but you know what, you saw it in somebody else to show you and, and give you that guidance. During those years, you know, really nobody. There there were figures like when I was in the Marine Corps, I had a chief warrant officer that was just an amazing mentor and a really good friend. And, you know, there were guys here and there. There was a guy, Mason, and another guy, James, in a church when I was stationed out in North Carolina who poured into me. So there were there were seasons where I'd have some good men in my life. But because of my father wound, the truth is I was just a giant fake. I was a people pleaser. I walked around even knowing Jesus. I still didn't really understand my identity in him. So I was pretty uncomfortable in most situations. I might come across as confident. I might come across like as someone who's got it all together. But but deep down inside, I was always trying to seek validation and always trying to seek recognition. I would work myself to the bone because my self-worth was wrapped up intimately in like how successful I was and, and what how beautiful the girl on my arm was and what car I drove and so I pursued money. I pursued all the wrong things. Even as a Christian, um, I was a big fake. And I, I honestly think I, I wasn't even able to have a close relationship with a, a man that could be like a father-like figure. You know, I don't think I would ever let someone in uh, to my heart and let me, you know, let them get that close in the first place. So, you know, to be honest, it wasn't until years later that I, I met like Bay Forrest, right? Former NBA player, six foot 10, and he's got a deep voice. And he's like, dude, if there's anybody who can manhandle me and like rebuke me and tell me to stop doing something like, yes, sir. Like he is, he's, it's easy to say yes to Bay and it's easy to like, you know, just listen. There's no being manly. When you hug Bay, yeah, it's not like you can try to like get in there. Like you're, you're part of, you're like, you're a manly guy hugging another man. It, it, no, you, you just fold yourself up like a nice little human burrito and let him wrap his giant bear claws around you and just hold you. And, and you're like barely to his chest, you know? Funny so he's just got that demeanor where like God knew exactly the type of guy that would need to be in my life. That would be kind of like a dad to me. And, and then there was more and more, um, there's a guy in my life named Corey I can go to for anything. Another guy named Duke. There's there's like multiple guys, uh, Steve and David and these older men that now I'm letting relationships happen. One of my best friends, a lot older than me, is named Scott. And now that I'm 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 really secure in my identity in Jesus, and more and more I'm I'm not an imposter because of those wounds. I've I've been healed in many ways. Like, dude, I've got these beautiful relationships where I get to see men that have been happily married for a huge part of their life. They have wonderful children that they are close with and they've been honorable in their work and they have served the Lord and loved the Lord. And now I can see that modeled before me, but the primary method has been um, the Bible and, and my private time with God. My intimate time with God is the greatest part of my life. And it's, um, it's in those quiet moments, abiding in Jesus and being with him in those quiet moments that I've been developed into who I am. That has uh, been astronomically greater than any mentor relationship could be. It's there is no greater mentor than to be a disciple of Jesus directly. Yeah, you know, which is you know the key, obviously the key element, right? Because there's a lot of even even when we started uh, the podcast, there was some other podcasts that I listened to that were you know great. They're beneficial, you know, talking about manhood and 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 all those other things and. Uh, but there's an element that's missing, especially when it's like, hey, you're trying to get these guys to be like great men, great husbands, great fathers, which is all great. But then you miss the main point where it's like, uh, you know, I remember listening one time where the the uh, the host was talking about like, hey, these are like five elements that you need to be a great, great man. You know, and, and the first one, I don't remember what it was, but then one of them is like a higher power. Like, it doesn't matter what you believe. You believe? I'm like, no, dude, it does matter what you believe, because what does it matter? What is it? it tells us in the scriptures, like, what does it matter for you to, to gain the world, but lose your soul? 
you know, and, and if you're just going to show these people, just like you said, right, like, if you're going to end up validating yourself by, you know, the, the different relationships you have, and, and then, and then your, you know, your financial status, and, and, you know, how attractive your, your, your spouse is, like, what are you doing? You know, you're going to, you're going to go straight to hell either way. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter. So like, you know, having a higher call, a calling in a higher power does matter, especially on who it's locked into. Yeah. You know, like, forget all that other stuff because when it's done, it's done, you know, but obviously through Jesus Christ and through the Lord, like that's the only one that, Hey, he said everything that he said, died, rose. And who are you gonna, why would you put your trust in anything else? That's it. You know, um, that's it. You know, one of the things, how did you get to know Bay? Like, how'd you meet, how'd you meet Bay? Well, Bay left a legacy in Pagosa Springs, Colorado. He had a youth ministry there many, many years ago that was just incredible. Hundreds of kids, and it was just, it was absolutely a success. God was all in it. And it was multi-denominational. They had an off-site location where the kids met. So kids from basically the whole town had a singular youth ministry. And so, yeah, he, he, uh, he did big things with him and his wife, you know, him and his wife, Peg. And, and so that legacy kind of lived on. And, and then the same thing happened when I became the youth pastor in that town. We created what was called the OC. It's an open circle coffee house. And uh, we renovated the basement of an old Baptist church out there. And it became like the coolest, swankiest spot for kids to hang out with in town. And it was big enough where we could house easily we could house 120 you know kids it was it got so big that we had to break it up between junior high and had a youth group on Thursday nights for the junior high and then we had our our Wednesday night bash which was a 6 hour long youth group and it was like going to a club for Jesus and uh we had a, a leaders meeting where you know we're pouring into and developing youth into leadership to disciple others and then we had our main youth group where there was really good worship and we were just about seeking the face of Jesus and, and really studying his word and growing in community together. And it was really powerful. So, of course, you know, we had you know, over 100 kids get saved in, in a very small amount of time. And so Bay heard about it. And he uh, he came up to me one time at church. We, we shook hands because we'd heard about each other and we just bonded immediately. I mean, his first question out of his mouth was like, so what has God called you to be? Who are you? He's like, I'm an evangelist. And I'm like, oh. All right. Like I needed to have an answer, you know, and that was the type of directness that I've always craved. Um, so we just, it was like instant and immediate connection. Yeah, man, it's cool. Cause so I've, uh, had the privilege of just, uh, and just watching his family. So his son, Adam, they're stationed down here in, in the community that we live. And, uh, just, uh, I mean, from the, the youngest granddaughter to, you know, AJ, who is in college right now, you know what I mean? Just having the opportunity to pour into them. And then just seeing that, man, like that family is like so locked on. And when you look at legacy and, and thinking of like, what does that look like? And just seeing like, man, from obviously, and then having Bay on the podcast, like him talking about his dad, right? And then you have, and then you have Bay and then how he poured into his kids, like to Adam and, and, and how he's raising his family. It's just, it's awesome to see. And it's like, man, that's like, that's what you want to aspire to be. And that's the legacy that you want to leave. You know what I mean? And then just hearing him talk about his, you know, Bay talk about his dad and just like uh, all, all the things and just like watching it in his life. And I'll never forget. So we did, we did a rite of passage event for the high schooler, high school boys that had just graduated. And um, we had to wait to do the last ceremony with, uh, with AJ, with his grandson, because we wanted Bay to be, be there and everything else. And uh, so he came down and Steve and I went over there and, and, and uh, Steve Will, Will and I went over there and, and did the ceremony. And I remember like, it's one of those moments where you get to be a fly on the wall. Like I remember just talking to some of the people, but I could hear Bay talking to AJ like, you know, because uh, I was in close range. And he's like, and he, I just remember listening to Bay. Here we go. An NBA player. You know what I mean? Loves basketball. And he's like, AJ, he's like, I, you know, you got the scholarship and it's great. He's like, and I care less about it. He's like, God has put you in this place so that way you can be a light to these guys for them to know Jesus. Yes, I want you to to do well. I want you to, you know, um, you know, do everything as unto the Lord. He's like, but the most important thing that you need to do while you're there is being a leader and shepherding those guys so that they know Jesus because you have a and I'm just like, dude, this is freaking amazing. You know what I mean? And that's like, you know, in most cases, it's like, you know, be successful, do these things. And it's like, dude, it doesn't even matter. 
you know, what matters at the end of the day is your witness in, 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 in your relationship to the Lord and how you are going to disciple other people in that manner. You know, that's it. It's it, the legacy thing. So key, man, AJ. So I know AJ pretty well. This is what's cool. So he's dating a girl that I poured into for years out in Pagosa Springs, Colorado, arguably one of the top three godliest teenagers that I poured into the most mature in Christ. She's beautiful from head to toe, inside and out, just an incredible girl. And it would take an incredible guy to be able to snag this girl up. And AJ is probably going to end up marrying this girl. So, you know, you see the godliness and the godly lifestyle of Bay passed down to his kids, now to his grandkids. And if, if AJ and Anna get married and have babies, the chances those babies will love Jesus is like, it's pretty secure. <laughs> um, so yeah, that legacy is just awesome, isn't it? To see it and to see it modeled well. Proof's in the pudding, man. Look at how much him and his wife love each other. And yeah. look at how much fruit their ministry bears. And look at their kids and how their kids are walking with the Lord. And look at the grandbabies. It's just, you know, that's the type of man I want to, I want to, you know, I want to follow and learn from. Yeah, absolutely. So what, uh, so on the outdoor adventure, what are some of the, the activities or events that you can tell? I know, you know, you don't have to go into detail, um, but you know, what are some of the things that you get these kids? Like, do you just, um, you know, do you just get it? Like, where do you find the kids? Like, how do they get involved with the ministry? And then is there like a set, like, I'm assuming you don't just like, all right, cool. Here you guys go. And then we're going to go backpack and, you know, we're going to go on a, on a six mile hump. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so like, what are some of the things that you do to try to help build that. And then my other question is, what do you do? Because I'm sure that you have mentors and leaders that are help pouring into these kids. How do you help those guys? Um, well, I'll, it's hard to explain because it's just such a different model. So I'll show and not tell a little bit, but you know, outdoor adventures is a fraternal order. The fraternity is called the wolf pack. These boys are initiated into the fraternity. It's a rite of passage into manhood. The fraternity is built on uh, a creed. So we have a creed that I live by and I'd love to post this for your followers, but the creed is a creed that I live by. It's what I live by. I believe in it with all my heart. It puts God first. It is a creed and a vow between us and God to serve him all the days of our life. And what type of men do we want to be? We want to be praying men. We want to be men that are grounded in the word, men of integrity, purity, work ethic, selflessness, and chivalry. So it's a very intentional thing, and it's a fraternity that you got to pay the piper to get into. Now, we invite you into it. It's not exclusive and that nobody is invited into it. It's when you're ready to become a man, you'll, you'll receive a pledge card that says, you know, you have been invited to pledge for our fraternity. And that culminates with the Outdoor Adventures walkabout. A walkabout is a religious rite of passage where you go into the mountains with a backpack on with a group of men and boys like yourself. And we are going to test you and challenge you and go deep. And it is not something, if you're not ready for it, you will not make it through. We do not graduate every person that goes on walkabout. It's not something we hand out second place trophies to. This is where you're going to learn what your real name is. You're going to learn your real identity and we're going to push you to the brink. Maybe this will be the thing you say is the hardest thing I've ever done, but the best and coolest thing I've ever done. So, and our model is very different. We have ministries throughout the country and those ministries pour into these kids day in and day out, week after week throughout the year. That way there's accountability, there's follow through, they're being poured into. And so our requirement is this, if you're going to come on walkabout, you know, you're bringing a mentor with you. And so we have a one-to-one -one ratio. That's our goal. So if you come on walkabout for our initiation, you'll be side by side with your mentor from where you live that you see all the time. And our, our goal, one of our goals is to also bond you with that mentor incredibly deeply. You are going to be closer with that man by the time you graduate and leave and go home. And when you go home, he will be right there with you. He'll be like a spiritual father to you. So that's our model. Our model is a little bit different. When the kids get on our, uh, you know, on site at our camp, our base camp is absolutely stunning. It's a beautiful place. It's a fun place. It's a peaceful place. It's called the refuge. But the first thing you do is we uh, we offload you out of your bus or your van, and we make you start digging a hole. You have no idea what you're doing. You don't know why you're digging a hole, but you're digging a hole. And you may never have seen a mountain before or a creek or a lake. You're probably from the inner city, and you're like, why are all these white people 
because a lot of the kids we pour into are minorities. Why are these people making us dig a hole? Like it's probably pretty nerve wracking. And then once they dig a really big hole, we hand them an ammo can and they got to put their cell phone in the ammo can and bury their, their phones in the ground in this ammo can. And then the games begin. We don't wait. The games begin. We go deep immediately. You know, we'll start doing a devotional right then and there, get, get some snacks in them. And, um, and then they're going to be doing all kinds of types of uh, initiations that are not hazing uh, necessarily, but they're hard. And they're, they're exercises of trust and they're challenging and they're scary. And, uh, and these kids, a lot of them, they're, they're scared because they're hard. And uh, some of them hurt and involve a lot of pain. And so from the beginning to the end, when we graduate them, I'm not going to go into too many details because some of that stuff's a little bit secret, but love for you to come out there and check it out. Yeah, let's um, do it. But it's, it's legit. Like this is a lot. In fact, I took a lot of stuff from the Marine Corps things that we did that we don't necessarily talk about because yeah, I was going to say, man, it sounds like the crucible, bro. It sounds like the crucible. <laughs> I'll say two words. I'll give you a hint. Pugil sticks. Okay. So, all right. So you know what I'm talking about. So lots of fun stuff and lots of great challenges. And then the, the graduation ceremony is, is about as sweet as it gets. We get to speak into these kids' lives. We get to tell them who they are. And, um, and, uh, and I think from there, this is a stepping off point when they go home and they're bonded to their mentor and they're challenged to seek Jesus. Almost every kid that comes to our camp gives their life to Jesus, goes two feet in and gets baptized publicly. Um, so it's a, it's a powerful experience, man. I'm going to put my own kids through it. In fact, this year we're having a father son trip and, uh, we're actually allowing fathers who've seen what we do that want to do it for their kids so badly that we just said, we need to make margin for this. And so my son, Mason. Uh, all my adopted sons have done it. Uh, my son, Mason, I will put him through this. He's going through it. He'll be just like everybody else. How old is your son? He's only four. Okay. Yeah. So what's the, what's the, um, what's the age range for the kids that are able to do the high school level or? Mostly high school level. Once in a while, we'll get a young person who's mature enough to, to go through what we're doing. It really depends on their maturity. Sure. Yeah. If they're ready for it, to put away childish things and become men. That's great, man. That's really, really good. And then the follow-up, do you pour into, so the mentor that ends, that they end up going with, uh, is the follow-up like pouring into that mentor so that mentor can pour into that individual? Is that like the follow-up for you guys or how do you guys do that? We do our best to make sure that leadership has good follow-up and good plan, um, a good plan for pouring into those kids when they go home. Uh, but about 22% of our participants come back as leaders. And so we have a multi-level discipleship platform platform. So our staff in the summer is comprised of head guides, assistant guides, and interns. Interns can be awarded with a scholarship to school uh, or trade school. And so they get uh, quite a bit of money if they work the whole summer. And so they're continuing to be discipled. And our goal is that our organization would be completely run by walkabout graduates. And that, uh, and that's, it's, we're quickly heading in that direction. In fact, I think not this coming summer, but the next, the camp itself will be directed and run by a, uh, one of my sons who went through the whole program and has been a volunteer. In fact, in the documentary, he's Bob Ross. So that, oh, that okay. would be, yeah, he'd be the one that probably takes over the whole camp. Wow. That's cool, man. What do you think? Um, and it just came to mind, you know, obviously talking about the military, um, what do you think is the biggest thing that hinders, um, hinders guys and does the most damage to the men, obviously not having a dad. Right. But like, um, I think maybe the thing that I'm looking for is like, what do you think it is that, that causes guys to like, not get involved? Like, I'm sure you probably like, you know, uh, you know, Jesus says it, right. Like, Hey, the harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. So we're paying, praying that, that God would send workers. Right. So like, do you find yourself in a place where it's like, man, I could sure use, you know, more help and more hands. Right. Cause there's probably a lot of guys that are like, nah, I don't know. I don't know. You know what I mean? Do you run into that? Yeah, I think there's a deeper issue and then there's a surface level issue. I'm always calling guys to redeem their hobbies. That's the best way to get men involved is to get them to dip their feet in the pool, dip their dip their toes in there. And I think redeeming your hobbies is the closest and easiest way to do that. And so the other night, for example, I was at Chuck E. Cheese for my daughter's birthday talking to some of the fathers. And I told them, I challenged them. I said, man, y'all are all getting, you know, excited about hunting season. It just started here, rifle season for whitetail deer. And I've been hunting every morning and this sort of thing. But redeem your hobby means just take some young men that don't have a dad with you on your hunt. You'll have a better time. 
it'll mean the world to that young man. And now you've turned your hobby into a mission. And so you're not only acquiring meat for yourself, but you're probably supplying a single mom who's got a bunch of kids with some food. And so whether it's golf or you're fixing your car, you know, bring, you know, I had a guy tell me, he's like, I don't, I just don't have time. I said, no, don't do anything new or extra. Just bring these young men, at least one or two of them into what you're already doing. If you got to change the oil in your truck, call them over and just have them show up and you teach them how to change the oil. If you got to balance your checkbook, sit down and do it with them. Show them how, how to do that. Uh, when you go hunting with them, go, go hunt. Like it's, it's absolutely a blast. I'll be taking four of my sons hunting this, this, uh, you know, hunting season. It's going to be the best time ever. We have so much fun sitting in the blinds, talking, bonding, and, and killing deer and putting meat in the freezer. It's just a blast. So I think that's the best way to get men involved and they can see just how fun it is to be on mission with Jesus. But the deeper issue is that men are completely unfamiliar with their true identity. They're not secure in who they really are. Men are selfish. They're cocky. They're, they're over, overly confident on the outside. But on the inside, most dudes are broken teddy bears that don't really know who they are. And they've been living a fake life. They just don't really have a, a good feeling about who they are and what they're designed to do and be. And so there's just a, a deep insecurity. And you'll never solve that. You'll never have real internal confidence and internal peace. There's no other way to get it. You can't circumvent the way you were created and, and what you were created for. You you were designed to be in unity and in relationship with a perfect heavenly father. You were designed to be filled by him and to walk with him and to be loved and liked by him. And until you understand how he looks at you and he says, son, you are my boy. You're, you know, he is the, the father of the prodigal. He's waiting in the field. He's looking out on the horizon. He's just waiting for the prodigal to come home. He's waiting for you to run to him. And he's going to run to you. And, and he's willing to lose his dignity. He did. He came down on the cross and he died the most undignified death. He even came into the world, the, the most undignified birth. And almost everything he did was undignified. He was the prodigal father. He came into the world in, in order to rescue you and to put his ring on you, his signet family ring his crest, the thing that gives him authority. He's putting it on your finger and saying, come reign with me, be a part of my family. He puts his cloak on you. He throws you a party. He kills the best animal and feasts with you until you understand that you are your daddy's boy and that he just loves you and, and adores you and he likes you. I have a cool story about the first time God told me I like you and I, and I just felt so loved and I began to understand my unique identity and who I am in him. I think that's what most dudes struggle with. If you could walk in the knowledge of who you really are, and it was a deep-seated revelation in your heart, like you really knew who you are in Jesus, uh, you're going to walk different. You will walk different, talk different, act different, do different. Your attitude will be different. You'll be a different husband, a different father to your own kids, a different person in your career, your, with your coworkers, your neighbors. Everything you do will be informed by who you are. Yeah, and that's so huge, man. And, and and recently, I think this was like, um, this is probably like six months, like just really processing things and and um, getting, like you said, getting that time with the Lord where, where you're by yourself. And and one of the things that I was always processing, and I was always trying to like, like listening to or and reading the story of Jacob, you know, wrestling with God, and and I've heard it explained, you know what I mean, and and all that stuff is, you know, obviously the way that they explain it is, is accurate. But there was always something that's like, man. There's something more to that. You know what I mean? And I was just like, like, there's just, it just seemed like there was something deeper to it. And I remember like I was working my, my, my bread job and I'm just like working away and stuff. And then like, I, I had the sense where the, where I just felt like, what did I ask Jacob? And I'm like, what? That is so random. Why would I think that? So I pulled out my Bible and I start reading that and it's like, um, who are you? And instantly right there, it goes back to, what did Isaac ask Jacob? And when Isaac asked Jacob, who are you? Jacob went in and lied to his dad, right? And it's kind of like that. And you said it in, in, in the fatherless epidemic where it's like, he, you know, we go through life. If we, don't have, if we don't have that from our earthly father and we don't know that from our heavenly father, we will seek that validation from whoever. And even 
especially even if we have a good earthly father, we're still going to seek his validation if we don't have it from our heavenly father. Right. And so in that moment, I was like, oh, man, that makes so much sense. Right. Because like when he wrestles with with the Lord and the Lord's like, all right, well, who are you? Because he's asking him to bless him. Well, because he knew that that blessing that he got from his father was out of deception. You know what I mean? And he has to leave home because he deceived his dad and he he messed his whole life up and he leaves. And then, and then now he's, you know, he's, he's leaving from Laban and now like his two worlds collide, you know, and that's where we find a lot of ourselves, right? Like I remember me leaving to go into the Marine Corps, same thing, right? Like it was one of those things where my dad had, had, and I have a great dad. I have a great, not a perfect father, but I have an awesome dad. I love my dad. And, and even then, like, I remember telling my dad, like, I'm going to join the Marine Corps. And he's like, why? Like, I told you I was going to pay for your college and this. I'm like, I don't want you to pay for my college. It's like, it's, you know, one of those things where it's like a man is always asking himself, am I capable? Right. And, and then it's like, I left for the Marine Corps and leave home and made this big old mess of thought of, you know, trying to be this, this person trying to make my life. And then when I, right before I got like the night I got saved, it was that realization where it's like, man, you know what, Lord? Like all these years you were there for me and I've made a mess of my life and you were always there. And just like, that was that, that whole night. And I think that's like, when we, when we, when we surrender to the Lord, it's like that whole aspect with Jacob, right? We've been fighting all these things, all, you know, all this stuff that's going on and, and realizing like my validation needed to come from Jesus, it needed to come from the father from the very beginning. And, and if you look at the difference between Jacob and you look at the difference from Jesus, what happened with Jesus before he even started his ministry? All he did was got baptized. Before he started his ministry, he was just being obedient. I'm just going to be obedient. I'm, you know, I'm going to get baptized. John the Baptist is like, dude, what are you talking about? Like, I should be better. Like, no, hey, this is what has to happen. I'm just being obedient. And he, he gets that. And then what's the first thing the Lord tells him? Hey, you know what? This is my son in whom I'll please. He gets that validation. He goes off into the wilderness. And guess what? Everything that Satan was trying to... Uh, get Jesus to do was to try to get him to validate the fact that he was the son of God, right? If you really, it, that was a question. That's everything he asked him. If you really are the son of God, then go do this. And Jesus is like, I don't have to. Why? Because he would have been able to do it because he knows who he was. He could have done it. He didn't have to. And one of the things that I always, that, you know, when I've explained this to the teens and stuff, I always tell them like, you guys are always trying. If some, if one of you is is thinks that they're strong, and I'm like, well, prove it. What are you going to do? You're going to prove it, right? I thought that I could do whatever, and I went in the Marine Corps, right? Because I felt like I had something to prove. And it's funny because I had I had the high schoolers over at my house, and I got a I got a gym in you know in my garage and stuff like that. I got all this gym equipment. And what are the boys doing? Who can lift the most weight, right? So they're getting on the lap pull down, and they're all pulling in, and, and it's like so funny because I'm like, you just leave boys alone. And they're going to do it. And it's like, it's just, it's just hilarious that that's the way we gravitate to, man. We, we can't help it, man. The other night I had a chug contest with a LaCroix. Like, who can drink a, a you know, can of sparkling water the fastest? And who can do the most pull-ups? And it's just like, it's ingrained in us, man. We're, we're seeking that validation. My son's four years old. We had a bonfire last night. He had this big stick. And he's like, Dad, look, look, look. Like, he's always, look, Dad, look. And he wants to show me that he's strong and he can pick this big stick up in the air and he just wants to hear his daddy say you are so strong wow look at those muscles show me those muscles bro and uh he he just wants that validation from daddy how much more were we designed to receive that validation from our heavenly father that's the only place it needs to come from. We we get it modeled by our earthly dad in a in a healthy, perfect scenario. You know, our our earthly dad is the one that models the fatherly love to us, but it's for the purpose of introducing us to a perfect heavenly father. I love in the documentary what Bay says. He's like, Well, when my dad, who was awesome, told me that there was a loving heavenly father, I had no problem believing that because my dad modeled it every day. And I'm like, that's exactly why the enemy wants to take out dads. The crappier your dad is, the worse your dad is, the the more of a daddy wound you got, uh, the harder it is to bridge that gap and receive genuine validation from your heavenly father. Yeah, no, 100%. You know, and I think, I think you were saying it in the, in the, no, as a matter of fact, you did say it in the, in the documentary, you had used, uh, what was the acronym for counterinsurgency? MPCOA. 
right? And it's the most probable course of action. Yep. Yeah, which is the most probable course of action for an enemy. And, and, and in that, you were just illustrating the fact that, hey, you know what? Like, if I was going to be the enemy and I was going to take out a, a, a culture, a society, a country, what would you do? You want to you want to elaborate on that? Yeah, I mean, we look at statistics, and I can say that there is statistical causation, not just correlation. The majority of our societal ills are traced back to fatherlessness and the father wound. So I, I thought about MPCOA. What would I do if I was Satan and I wanted to destroy a planet and destroy a people? I would take out dads. I would I would take out dads because dads are the backbone of a culture. Dads are the the entry point for us to understand Father God as as Abba as Daddy. Um, dads are the instillers of identity. In fact, the the ancient word fatherless, what it actually means is he without identity. Mm. And so I think that that's key. A father is one that shows their kids what it looks like if you're a boy, how to provide, how to protect, right? It shows the girl how to be provided for and how to be protected by. Uh, a father, when he loves his wife well, my, my kids, I guarantee you, if you ask them, when you get married someday, do you want to have a marriage like your mommy and daddy have? And they will both say, oh, yeah. You know, they see me kissing mommy all the time. They see me romancing her. They see how sweet we talk to each other. They see me protect her. Uh, I'll go and swat a bee. I will go wrestle a bear. I will uh, beat someone to a bloody pulp if they break into my home. They know that they're safe. They know what it looks like to be a protector and provider and what it looks like to be a good husband. They see the tenderness I have towards them as a daddy. They especially see how quick I am to apologize and how to demonstrate humility and, and repent and admit to them, hey, I didn't do a good job yesterday. I lost my patience. I should not have said that. Uh, do you forgive me? Uh, the father teaches kids even how to repent to, uh, to Father God by the, the demonstration of humility and asking them for, for forgiveness. So, so when the enemy takes out dad, I think the enemy destroys the culture. And I think that's exactly what he's did. What he's done. I think that's exactly what has happened to America. You can blame it on politicians all you want. You can blame it on politics. You can blame it on all these things. But I'm telling you, I I believe if you study the data, I'm looking right now in front of me. I've got data from all these podcasts and radio stations and news stations I've been on. I have statistic after statistic after statistic that proves causation that that this is why our country is failing at a at the speed of light. It is for no other reason, but dads have been taken out of the picture and people are no longer pursuing Father God. You know, you say that I agree 100 percent. And, and when, we, when you and I were talking, you know, before, and I don't know if I already if I read this, if I read this during the podcast while the recording or what it was before. But, you know, the whole the whole point where in Malachi, he says, I'm going to send the, the you know, I'm going to restore the hearts to the father and the father to the sons. You know what I mean? And, and so like you saying that, what you just said, what is the only way that for America, for, you know, like we can't, here's the thing, right? We can only control like we're over. I can't, I can't have influence over the whole wide world. Right. And I can't even have influence all over the nation, but my influence is to, you know, the people that are around me. Right. And if, if I if I influence my family, my family will influence others and then others will influence. It, right. And that's how you change things. So I'm going to ask a rhetorical question. But like so then who do you think is responsible for the fact that men aren't doing and aren't acting in accordance to how they should? We are right back in the garden. The serpent is on the ground. The serpent's lying to the woman twisting the word of God. Adam is right there with Eve when she pulls the fruit off the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he is utterly passive. He just sits there. Now, he was the only one given the command to not eat of that tree. It was his responsibility to make sure that that word from God was acted out and acted upon in his family. 
but he was passive. He let her take the lead in having a conversation with the serpent. He was given the order to subdue everything in the garden, including the creatures. He should have been the one that put his arm in front of Eve and pushed her out of the way and said, honey, I got this one. And he should have stepped on that stupid snake and told it to shut up. And he should have spoken the word of God. Nope, that's not what God said. He said this, and I believe him. I don't believe you. And that passivity, standing by, watching things uh, play out, is what led to the destruction uh, of the garden and this the perfection of fellowship with with the, the Trinity and unity with the Trinity. So that's exactly what's happening right now. The enemy has already struck. And so the civilization we live in right now is already being absolutely decimated. So what do we do? We have to stop the bleeding. We stop the bleeding by making sure we have taken care of our own father wound and that we're able to understand who we are and God, that we can call him Abba Father, Daddy. Jesus didn't say, pray to me. Stephen, when he was being stoned to death, he was the only one in the New Testament that prayed to Jesus. Every other instance in the New Testament, Jesus says, when you pray, go to your room in private and pray to your father, God. When he's asked by the disciples, how do we pray? He says, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We are called to have an intimate relationship with Abba Father through Jesus and through the Spirit. Now, the thing is, I think with all my heart that if you want to stop the bleeding, you got to have that relationship with him first and foremost and let him direct your steps and, and walk with him, walk by the Spirit. It's the coolest thing in the world, man, to understand who you are in him and to walk with him. So we stop the bleeding there. We stop the bleeding by being the husbands we're supposed to be in Christ, loving our wives as he loved the church and to be the fathers to our sons and daughters that we're supposed to be, that we're called to be, that we can be. That's how we stop the bleeding. And we can change the course of so much just right there. But the second step is that we would fill in the gap for all those that don't have a daddy, a daddy who's either emotionally absent. And you can see those those kids, right? They're they're at the baseball game. You take your kid to the baseball game and you're or you're at their practices. Look for that kid whose dad is never there. And then pour into that kid. You want to do more than just stop the bleeding. If you want to reverse what's being, uh, what's taking place in our country, we need to also fill in the gap for all those kids that don't have a father-like figure that can point them to a perfect heavenly father. And we need to mentor them and love them and include them in, in our family. We also need to love on that single mom and do it in a wise way. We don't get ourselves in trouble, but with the help of our wife, we come alongside those single moms and we pour into them too. But we can't be passive anymore. We can't just sit there anymore. We've got to be the ones that uh, that act on the word of God. We're the ones that have been given the word of God. We've been given authority. We're the ones, uh, Adam named all the animals in the garden. He also named Eve. That signifies authority. He was given leadership over that family. And we got to be the ones that step up and lead. And we got to be the ones that fill in the gap for those that don't have that leadership. And, and you want to turn around our country. That's how you do it. It's that simple. We just have to do it. I have seven adopted sons. And even the one that I don't talk to, or he doesn't talk to me anymore for, for very, you know, various reasons. He's married and happily married. And I have no doubt he'll be a great father to his kids. And so I can say with all of my seven adopted boys, those are seven boys who I know are going to be good husbands and good fathers, and they are going to end. They're going to step on the head of the snake. They're going to end the generational curse, end the cycle, and they're going to start a new cycle of raising babies that love Jesus. And it's going to be beautiful. So imagine if we would all do that. Uh, it, it would Even if, if half of us stepped up as men of God and took responsibility for our God-given role to lead, uh, man, we're going to change things, bro. Do you think... Uh, uh the church, like the church should have, or church should do, you know what I mean? Cause I, I had asked, I, I had got asked a question one time where it's like, Hey, how do you think, like, do you think the church is responsible to where, you know, where we are in the nation? I'm like, yeah, dude, absolutely. 100%. Somebody's like, well, I don't, you know, I don't really think that it's the church. I'm like, bro, like that's where we got left. Like that's who we're, it tells us in Timothy, like we were the, uh, the, the pillar of truth that is supposed to be left. Cause if we don't do it, who else is going to do it? You know? Yeah. So there's the institution of church and then there's the church, the institution of church. We outsource all of our responsibilities to it. It's ridiculous. It's backwards. Like we, like we say, well, maybe I can invite someone to church and then the pastor can share the gospel and lead them to Christ. That's not the, that's not the church. The, our job as the church, we are the church is that we would share the gospel, that we would invite people to know Jesus you know, that we would be the hands and feet of Jesus. 
the, the church is not just this institution that we are supposed to outsource all of our responsibilities as Christians to. No, we're supposed to be the church where we're the ones that implement all these things. We're the ones that use the church as a family meeting place to equip the saints for the work of the ministry and to fellowship and to have true community where we can get filled up every week. We can commune and hang out and learn and grow so that we can go out into our individual spheres of influence and we can change the world. So, so that's the thing. As long as we get that right, it's not the institution. It's not, you know, well, that's their job. They're, it's their job to teach my kids about Jesus. I mean, that's why I drop them off at Sunday school. And that's why we go to church and then they go to their little thing. No, no. They spend an hour a week with, with our kids. You know, we spend hours and hours and hours a day with our kids. It's our responsibility to make sure our wives are growing in the Lord. It's our responsibility to make sure our kids are being discipled. It's our responsibility. Our church cannot reach the people in our individual spheres of influence. That's why God put me in that sphere of influence. I'm in this neighborhood in Alabama. I know these people in my workplace. I have these neighbors. I have these people I see at the grocery store. We all have our unique niche little community that we operate within. And those are the people God has asked us to be the hands and feet of Jesus to. And when the church, accumulatively, everybody's doing that and they're responsible for their own individual spheres of influence, the church can help resource that. The church can help back us up in that. The church can help equip us to do that and and all that sort of thing. But um, it's an equipping station. It's not meant to be an outsource station. Well, and you, you, and you said it in the sense of we do it just like sports, right? And the coach is going to teach my kids. And that's what I'm going to take it. So at the same token, right, if it's supposed to be the place where they're going to get equipped, are they being equipped properly? How can you equip people, right? Because, you know, you, the, the work that you're doing, you have the people that are there with you. But, you know, how many guys do you have that are that you are pouring into and able and able to do those things? That's a small section, right? As opposed to when you have people that are coming into a place like focus like and i and i bring this because one of the questions to me is like how, how can we get the kids to love jesus more like we need to do more things for the kids and, we, and it's like yes like we do need to do more things for the kids but honestly the goal needs to be we need to do more things for the parents right especially the the ones the, the single parent homes but man if we can get the dads that's where the target has to be because if we can get the the dads and get them locked in because if we're just teaching the kids as soon as they go home if those things aren't reinforced in the home what are the kids going to do Whatever they want, they're going to gravitate to the to to a passive nature. Well, if I, my parents aren't enforcing this, then why should I have to? I'm going to watch whatever I want to watch. I'm going to talk however I want to talk. I'm going to do whatever I want to, you know, do. But the 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 you know, obviously for the kids that don't have that male role in their life, hey, guess what? We can change it with your with your family. But when you have parents that are bringing in, like the the they need to be the ones, or the dads are the ones that should be challenged and doing you know, some of the work that you're doing, like you said, right? Like challenging, Hey guys, let's get together and let's do these things. And it's not so much just, um, you know, sitting, but it hands on and it's different. It's different yeah. when it's all hands on as opposed to, Hey, we're just listening. And then we go home. That's it. It's a, it's a shift, a dynamic shift from consumerism of our faith to participation of our faith in our faith. So the, the Bible is very clear in Ephesians that God has given evangelists and apostles and prophets and teachers and pastors for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. So for those of us who are professional ministers, you know, our job is to equip everyone else to do ministry. So it's one thing to just teach the Bible and then, you know, everybody gets their fill and then they go home. Right. That's great. OK, it's another thing to teach people how to teach the Bible. It's another thing to do evangelism in our church. It's another thing to teach our church how to do evangelism. So I think if we would just shift our mindset a little bit. In fact, in youth ministry, it used to be orange theory, right? Which is we equip the parents, you know, and, and we're also pouring into the kids. But us and the parents together, red and yellow make orange, and we're, we're able to pour into the kids and disciple them appropriately. I, I still agree with that. I, I'll also say that a lot of our kids don't have parents that know how to disciple or love Jesus. And we and they're not going to be interested in hearing what a youth pastor has to say. What I've learned is it's now from the bottom up. Sometimes we're teaching that kid how to do ministry in their own home and that kid gets in their home and they're 
they're talking about Jesus at the dinner table and they're witnessing to their parents and they're witnessing to their siblings. I've seen a lot of kids lead their siblings to Christ. I've seen a lot of parents come to know the Lord. Uh, one of the guys I'm discipling right now, Nathan, he's one of my best friends. I love this dude, early 20s, about to graduate college. He's uh, already interviewing right now for a full-time youth pastor role. Phenomenal minister, loves the Lord. Uh, he actually, I was able to lead his dad to Christ with him. We worked, we tag team that one. And then he baptized his dad. So, you know, that's the point though. No matter what our sphere is in the church, the role of the church is to equip everyone to do ministry outside the church. We go to the church to go grow closer to Jesus, to worship Jesus, and to learn how to serve with Jesus. And then we go out into the world and then we all are ministers. Everyone's a minister. I don't care if you're an accountant, you're an, a missionary accountant. I don't care if you're a United States Marine, you are a missionary in the Marine Corps. Yeah, everyone is a missionary. If you're on the PTA, you're a missionary on the PTA. And our job is to share the greatest news that ever existed. And then when people accept that news, because we give them invitations and we invite them into the family, then we have the responsibility of teaching them how to be a disciple of Jesus and how to spread that to the next person. That's why the church of Iran is the fastest growing church in the world. They have this model down. They understand that their responsibility, every single Christian, their responsibility is to share the gospel with others and grow the kingdom. And they take it seriously. They are about winning people to the Lord. So I think that's the key. I haven't haven't heard that. I'll have to look into that. But yeah, it's a great commission, right? Amen, brother. Yes, sir. Hey, brother, I know we're cutting close to an hour and I'm sure you got stuff to go on. Hey, you want to... Anything that you want to plug here? I know you got you got something that you're working on. Do you want to share that or you want to just wait? Now, obviously, don't go into details, but be on the lookout for anything. Yeah, for sure. If you want to connect and see the documentary, it's kind of a one-stop shop. You can also find our ministries through this website, but you can watch the film. There's a 35-minute version and a 55-minute version. I always tell people, if you watch the 55-minute version, I highly recommend it, but at least watch the last five minutes of the 35-minute version. There's a new scene in there where just before my dad passes, like days, days before he dies, that's really sweet, and it shows the breaking of, of generational curse. It's pretty beautiful. Uh, but you can find that at www.fatherlessepidemic.com. And um, if you've got any questions or you want to reach out, man, feel free to contact me. And then be on the lookout. We have a new project in the works. We're making a new film that uh, should be in theaters. And uh, right now we're raising funds for that film. It is called Show Me Your Glory. And it's going to be a film that brings the gospel to the masses in a creative way. Our target target audience is everybody from the Christian who's been hurt by the church to the atheist and the agnostic, we want to put God's love on display and show just how good Jesus is and invite people into the family. That's awesome, man. If there's anybody that would like to uh, donate, where would be the best place for them to donate? Easy spot to donate is if you go to outdooradventures.org and click on donate. Uh, You can also find it on fatherlessepidemic.org. So .com is where you watch the film. And .org is our Alliance website. That's our national ministry. And both of those pages, when you click donate, will lead you to the same link to donate. Awesome, brother. Well, man, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Great conversation. I'm sure we'll uh, we'll talk again soon, but do you mind praying us out? Oh, I'd love to. Let's do it. Excuse my hat here. Abba Father, we love you. We worship you. We belong to you. And today, God, help us to receive your love. Help us to understand who we are in you. Help us to begin to grasp how high and wide and deep your love is. To understand our identity in you. How much you adore us and like us. And God, that we would partner with you in this life. A father-son duo. That it's go to work with daddy day every day. That we could partner with you and your work in this earth to bring in your kingdom. That we can turn around our culture that is utterly failing at the speed of light. And God, that we would not give in to the lure of passivity like Adam did in the garden. But that we would step up to the plate as the leaders you've intended us to be, Father. We want to know who we are and we want to walk in that identity. And we want to be the hands and feet of Jesus in this world. We want to make a difference, Father. We want to please you and bring a smile to your face. 
by what we say and do, our attitudes, our activities, and all that we put our hands to. God, help us to have a revelation of just how short this life is and how quickly eternity is approaching. And that when we're with you for trillions of years, trillions of years, we want to look back on this little bitty, tiny, microscopic life and know that we gave it our all for your glory. I pray, Father God, that every person listening to this, that you would lure their hearts closer to yours, that you give them an unquenchable thirst and hunger for your word and for prayer, and that, like John 15 says, that they would learn to abide in you, and that they would bear much fruit. It's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Thanks a lot, brother. Appreciate it. It's been fun, man. Thanks for having me on. We'll do it again.